Some of us here remember that day. That day when we were walking in darkness and then God opened our eyes and he saved us and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. When heaven came down and glory filled your soul. Much to be thankful for. Much to praise God for this morning. That's why we're here this morning to worship the one true God. Because we have been purchased with precious blood. Some by water, some by the flood, some by fire, but all through the blood. Much to be thankful for to our Lord this morning as we consider John chapter 10, continuing our study. As we first looked last time about a sheep pen that was more of a public setting, one that was in a a town or a city that had higher walls with many flocks that were put there. That's the scenario that we examined, the scenario we studied in the first few verses But the pen that is described in our study this morning and throughout the remainder of this section is the smaller pen out in the field. Remember, out yonder with one entrance where the shepherd was the gate. The first pen, Jesus leads his sheep out of false religion. He calls his sheep out and they hear his voice, and they respond to his voice. And the second pen has to do with his sheep committed to his care and the relationship he has with them. In this section, Jesus applies the saying to himself. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Both having to do with salvation. Of course, the door, he is the entrance. The good shepherd, he is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the door. Others who go another way are thieves and robbers. He is the good shepherd in contrast to hirelings. Thieves, robbers, hirelings, they're in it for themselves. The good shepherd, he sacrifices himself for others. The first few verses for us, I draw your attention there. Verse 1, chapter 10 of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up in some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. And then our text for us this morning, beginning in verse 
7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Father, I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, for clarity, for strength, for power from on high, for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. So when Jesus says the I am statements, there are several. There are actually seven of them. I am the bread of life. We studied that. I am the light of the world. We looked at that. Here, I, he says, I am the door. And very soon, I am the good shepherd, he would say. And then I am the resurrection and the life. And then I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. So we have first, though, our, and for, foremost this morning, our eternal entrance, the eternal entrance. He says, I am the door of the sheep. This commentary from Richard Phillips helps us to gain more understanding this morning. He says the following, the great Old Testament scholar, Sir George Adam Smith, once traveled through Palestine, and when he came across a shepherd and his sheep, During their conversation, the shepherd showed him the fold into which he led his sheep by night. It consisted of four walls with one open space. Sir George asked the shepherd whether that opening was how the sheep got in. Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are in, they are perfectly safe. But there is no other door, says Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He explained, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside... I lie in the open space, and no sheep goes out but across my body, and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Whether or not this was Jesus' complete meaning here, this episode illustrates the implication of his words. The way is through his body, which he offered for our sins on the cross. Jesus is the door of the sheep, and those who enter are safe for eternity. So Jesus gives more detail here, more directness to to those who were before him, to those who were listening to him. He changes the metaphor a bit, yet makes it clear. And the backdrop here may be from Psalm 118, verse 19 and 20, which says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. The door, as we understand, this is used metaphorically, where Jesus is not an actual door as we would consider a wooden door. Just as he says, I am the bread of life. But we recognize that he does not describe himself as a wall. There is no ladder of achievements to one to which one can enter into his fold. There is no amount of works that one can crawl up to get into this fold. You cannot climb your way into his kingdom, just like you cannot climb your way into heaven. No amount of religious services or church attendance or rituals can get anyone through this door. You cannot gain entrance by another person who is already inside, who says, hey, I paid, paid the way for you. You could come in or just because you know someone. Because of their righteousness? No, you must be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No side entrances, 
No back door, only through the door, which is Christ. So when Jesus says, I am the door, his meaning is crystal clear. One entryway to the fold of the sheep, and that is through him. He says, I am the door of the sheep. He's not the door of everyone, everywhere that deny him. He is the door of the sheep. Only those who enter through him will be saved. Sometimes when we encounter lost people and some professing Christians, they protest at this. They outright deny this, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Why is this? Oftentimes it's because of the cost of following Jesus Christ. There is definitely a a cost to follow Christ, dying to self, taking up our cross, and following after Him, no matter what come our way. Oftentimes it's because of their refusal to admit their sin and their need for a Savior. A refusal to hand over their life to Jesus' Lordship. Oftentimes it's also an outright hostility towards the shepherd. Not seeing a need for the shepherd or outright hostility towards him. Well, the world continues to lead people astray, does it not? False gates, false ways that lead only to death, destruction, and damnation. Some of these gates look rather good. They're very dressed up, very nicely. They look very kind. They look very uh, welcoming. But they lead to death, destruction, and damnation. So as we understand, there is an eternal entrance. This this gate, this door, Jesus Christ. But then Jesus says that there are conniving criminals. Secondly, the conniving criminals. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. So when Jesus says, all who came before me, we think when we study the scriptures and we think, wow, there's those who came before Jesus Christ. But he's not referring to here, obviously, David, Moses, Nehemiah. He's not referring to the Old Testament prophets. He's not referring to the forerunner, John the Baptist. Jesus refers back to verse 1, the thieves and the robbers. And we consider the audience who was there. We consider the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and false messiahs. All of those who would come in the night for the sheep before the shepherd came are thieves and robbers. J.C. Ryle says, Nothing seems so offensive to Christ as a false teacher of religion, a false prophet, or a false shepherd. Nothing ought to be so much dreaded in the church, and if needed, so plainly rebuked, opposed, and exposed. J.C. Ryle is right. Consider how Jesus rebuked False teachers. He rebuked those who were harmful to the sheep. And how are we to respond? What are we to do? 
I mean, there are some who are easy to pick out and easy to pick on, like the prosperity gospel, like Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar. We could say, oh, look at this and look at that. But how about those who sneak in, those who claim to be reformed even, those who claim to be Baptist or Presbyterian, whatever it may be, and then they go astray? Are we supposed to just not acknowledge them? Those who become a danger to the flock. Those who go woke. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from the people. For you do not enter it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in it as well. John the Baptist, he didn't sound very kind, perhaps, when he said this. You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee the wrath to come? And then the Apostle Paul, I'll just read this for you from 2 Corinthians. You could write it down if you'd like. Uh, Chapter 11 and verse 13 and 14. He says, Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Paul was not surprised. And so he called them as they were, what they were. And Peter says, these are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for when the black darkness has been reserved. And Jude, clouds without water. And also, we go back to Ezekiel 34. I mentioned we would be going there several times as we go through this study on the Good Shepherd, the the door of the sheep. Please turn with me to Ezekiel 34. We're going to be back to John. Ezekiel 34. Again, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool, You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Let's stop there for a moment. So the the flock is being hurt here due to actions or lack of actions taken by the leaders. This is spiritual malpractice. You know, we hear of medical malpractice. This is spiritual malpractice. The leaders are guilty of sins of commission and sins of omission. And there's a word, woe, to them before that. Woe. When you see that word, you say, woe. There's something significant being warned here. These sins of commission, they ate the fat. They clothed themselves with wool. They were fleecing the flock rather than feeding the flock. They were removing the wool from the sheep, leaving the sheep naked and without. Slaughtering the fat sheep 
without feeding the flock. They were butchering the fatlings, eating for self, starving the flock. Verse 4, those who are sickly you have not strengthened, the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. The sick diseased did not help, the broken they did not help to heal, the scatters, the strays they did not bring back, the lost they did not seek for them, instead ruled over them harshly and brutally. So what are the effects on the sheep? Do we think about this? Well, the text tells us, verse 5, 6, they were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. Think about sheep scattered, no shepherd. The wolves are licking their chops saying, we're, we're going in. They have no shepherd to protect them. These are some of the results. And then in verse 6, my flock, again, God calls his sheep, my flock, wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. They wandered They scattered. He says, my flock, a term for endearment, a term for care and concern. As I would submit to you as a a side, as we elders are under shepherds, we would say this is the flock of God that God has entrusted us to oversee. This is not a job. This is a ministry. This is a privilege. This is a calling. And God puts people in, men in leadership to be these under shepherds. The leaders and shepherds in Ezekiel had delegated authority and they failed. Jesus says, all who came before me, as we, can, as we turn back to John 10, and we'll be back to Ezekiel, so you could put a little bookmark in there or your finger in there. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. The sheep did not listen to their voice. They said, there's something wrong with that. A stranger they simply will not follow. But they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This happens all the time. When someone tries to, uh, to get a sheep, a wolf tries to get a sheep, an undiscerning sheep, or a sheep that is growing up in the things of the Lord. And the sheep says, wait, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. This does not sound right. Let me pause for a moment here. Because there is danger involved. They will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. We were talking this morning in the new members class. We were talking about what happens when a church goes, goes south or goes bad or goes sour. What do we do as, as people there? What do we do? Well, if you're in leadership, you can try to fight against that. 
But if you're not, are you going to stay there and be hurt and hindered and beat up and bruised? Or do you need to depart? Leon Morris says, Those who really are the sheep given by the Father have spiritual discernment. They await the voice of their true shepherd. And discernment is something we have to cultivate. Do we not? We have to cultivate with the study of the word of God through through prayer. Through being under sound teaching. Discerning. So when we hear voices of different preachers, we say, well, I don't know about this. We hear different theologies, these new perspectives, this and this is new here. And we're going to do these things here. You say, well, wait, that doesn't sound what what the Bible says. That sounds uh, wrong. Discernment must be nurtured. It must be lived out. So there is an eternal entrance. There are conniving criminals, those who are thieves and robbers, who seek to harm the sheep. And then there is the door of deliverance. Going back to what Jesus says, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, safe, secure, and rescued. It's amazing as we study the gospel of John, we're hearing the gospel over and over and over again. And we need the gospel, Christians, over and over and over again. Notice the how. Enter through the door. Jesus is the door. Not a door, but the door. Just as Jesus is not a way of salvation, Jesus is the way of salvation. And once you're in the fold, you don't do everything you can to try to get to to as far away from the fold as possible or try to skirt the, the edges of the fold. You are safe and secure, rescued. The who. Who is safe? Who is rescued? Anyone who enters through the door. Whoever is willing to. He says the word here, will be saved. So there are two dispositions this morning. There are two categories of people, if I can use that phrase this morning. Saved and lost. Everyone will walk out of here this morning either saved or lost. They have gone through the narrow gate. They have walked the narrow way that leads to life. Or they have denied the door and turned the other way. Have you entered through the door? If you have not, you're on the outside. Why would you wait outside when Jesus says, you must enter through me? To wait outside is to deny Christ's invitation. Yes, it is to deny Christ himself. When Jesus was asked by someone if there are just a few who are going to be saved, he responded in Luke 13, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Do you know there will be many on the last day who thought that they were Christians and who do this for the Lord and that for the Lord and they will be lost? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you, he will say. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. 
Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. And there will be a time when the door will be shut on your face. If you do not know Jesus, there will be a time when you, the door will be closed and you cannot enter in. Just like when Noah entered the ark and God shut the door behind him. All of those in the outside, it was too late for them. There was no hope for them. They would perish. And that was it. Reconsider, and we should remember, we should be uh, reminded of death on a scale. of We consider 9-11, and I say this with all sensitivity. But there are people that day, who went there that day, who were not ready, who were not prepared to enter through the door. Every day we see people die without Christ. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Delivered from bondage to sin, rescued from the domain of darkness. Don't toy with darkness. Don't toy with it. You might end up staying there for a season with serious consequences, believer. The idea here of going in and out and finding pasture is safety, security, and having all the blessings that the shepherd sees fit to bestow. This goes back to Numbers 27, 16 and 17. May the Lord... The God of the spirits of all flesh, appointing man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them and who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. God would appoint a man, the man Christ Jesus. You could also read... Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1 and 6, seeing the, the, um, the blessing received due to obeying the shepherd. But we have an eternal entrance. There is one way. There are conniving criminals who would seek to say, there are other ways. There are those within professing Christianity who would say, no, there are other ways. There is the door of deliverance for believers. And then the focus is a ferocious focus of the thieves that come in to steal, kill, and destroy. Ferocious focus. Here, when it says in John, the thief comes to steal, it's singular. Could this be the devil? Possibly. Roaring around, prowling around like a Roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. I think the focus is just on what a thief does in general. Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, and if that doesn't work out, kill and destroy. The thief is in it for himself. Think about this in context of shepherds. Self-centered and selfish. The one who comes for the sheep in a malicious way 
to steal, kill, and if necessary, to destroy. No interest in nurturing the flock, but comes to harm the flock. Jesus, on the other hand, provides security, safety, and life abundantly. And thieves come from within and from without. The world still promotes humanistic saviors. The world promotes saviors to us every single day. Promotes these utopias to us every single day. What is a utopia? This social and political, moral, perfect place which is, as the American Heritage Dictionary calls it, an impractical, idealistic scheme for social and political reform. Now that I've said social and political, I have some attention this morning. Listen to D.A. Carson in his commentary in the Gospel of John, which, as I was reading through this, I found this very uh, poignant and, and challenging and I don't know when he wrote this, but it, it, it was probably at least 10 years ago, but I, I'll find out. I forgot to look. We consider thieves that come from within and thieves that come to steal, kill, and destroy in the worldly setting. He says this, the world still seeks its humanistic political saviors, its Hitlers, its Stalins, its Maos, it's Pol Pot's. And only too late does it learn that they blatantly confiscate personal property they came to steal. They ruthlessly, ruthlessly trample human life underfoot. They came only to kill. And contemptuously savage all that is valuable. They came only to destroy. And then he quotes someone by the name of Roy Clements. He says this, It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven That is the myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. This is from his book, Introducing Jesus. Unfamiliar with Mr. Clements, myself. So consider what the world is telling us each and every day. What will make us safe? What savior they want to promote? The world promotes savior after savior after savior for us. But Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. So there is the eternal entrance. There is the conniving criminals. There, are, uh, there is the door of deliverance. And there is the ferocious focus of those, spiritually speaking, who would seek to uh, devour us, to seek to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. Then there is the love of the life giver. Jesus says this for us this morning. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Someone asks, why did Jesus come anyway? Well, right here he tells us. Here's one reason for the sheep. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Living for Christ There is nothing like it. Some of us can remember our lives without Christ, can remember what we lived for then. Sometimes all too often we're reminded of it in our own minds, in our memories, and when things uh, pop up in our brains and in our hearts. 
But he came that we could have a life, that we would have life and have it abundantly. I remember back in Florida, there was a, there's a gym I used to go to. It's called Anytime Fitness. I guess you could go there anytime. Um, but there was a, a man who worked there, and he did the mopping, and he did cleaning the bathrooms and all of those things, which is fine, but he didn't seem to enjoy it very much. And common conversation when you see someone, hey, how's it going? Every day I would, when I would see him, and I always meant to ask him more, but i say, hey, how's it going, or whatever. He would say, live in the dream. Sarcastically, live in the dream, as he would mop or he would do something else. How are you? Well, I'm living the dream. That's not what life's all about, though, living the dream. We've said that before. Some of us have said that before. Oh, this is my dream, to, to do this and do this and to have this and, and to live here and to live there. That's my dream. And then there's the pipe dreams, right, for the, for the musician who, who thinks he's better than he is or she, or the athlete who is good but not good enough for a professional but thinks he or she is. It's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. But Jesus comes to give us truth. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Flourishing sheep that are healthy spiritually. Jesus provides a whole new outlook and meaning to one's life. Doesn't he? Isn't it amazing when you first got converted? And still now it is, or it should be, the outlook on life that God gives you that is completely different. That is in complete contrast to when you were lost and to where you were walking in darkness. Under his shepherding and his guidance, we have fullness of life and life abundantly. Ezekiel 34 again, verses 12 through 15. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, So I will care for my sheep and I will deliver them from all the places in which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. God cares for his sheep. God cares for his children. Our God cares for us, brothers and sisters. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in good pasture, and their grazing ground will be the mountain heights of Israel. And they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, says the Lord. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. This life and having it abundantly Jesus does not promise us abundance of material things. Matthew 6.19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But we're to store up treasures in heaven where rust does not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Jesus does not promise us an abundance of money. And as we understand, as things get more expensive for us these days, and 
things are, are real for us. We consider finances. So some are hit really hard, more so than others. He does not promise an abundance of money. In chapter 6, verse 24, he says, In contrast, no one can serve two masters, for you, either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. If someone has wealth, great, but they cannot serve God and wealth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. No, Jesus promises abundance in life, which is life abundant in him. In order to have this surplus of life, this satisfaction in life, one must first know the giver of life, Jesus Christ. What does Psalm 23 tell us? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Contentment. Contentment, something I imagine all of us struggle with, all of us struggle with on some level, shape, or form, some more so than others, but not being in want. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters, He restores my soul. He protects us. He, he guides us. He restores us. He provides for us in this age and the age to come. Jesus says in John 14, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So there is one gate to eternal life. One door, Jesus Christ. That is the saving message. That is what we must proclaim. The one way. The one door. Thieves and robbers come from the outside. They come from slipping in the inside, seeking to harm the sheep, seeking to hurt the sheep. We are to be on guard. We are to be on watch and developing discernment. If you have entered through the door, Christ, you are safe, you are saved, and we ought to be satisfied in Christ. Jesus promises life in abundance in following him. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank you that you are, Jesus, you are the shepherd of your people. You lead us in and out. You lead us into pasture. You lead us into quiet waters. You restore our soul. You care for us. You provide for us. You love us. When thieves and robbers, wherever they may come from, seek to devour us, seek to attack us, you are there to protect us. And Lord, we ask that we would continue to
be on guard, that we would continue to be discerning. Grow us in discernment, O Lord, that we would be seeking to warn others of wolves in sheep's clothing, that we would be loving to fellow sheep, so to speak, to our brothers and sisters, helping them through different things, difficulties, Lord. Some may be struggling this morning, grappling with pain and hurt, perhaps from before they were a Christian or perhaps from today or yesterday. Lord, you are their shepherd. Lead them through, we pray. Guide them, direct them. And God, we pray that those under the sound of my voice this morning who are not yet in your fold, that you would call out to them today, that they would respond in repentance and faith, and that they would enter the door of salvation, and that they would be saved, rescued. Thank you for your kindness that you show us each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.